This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's page 907. We began to study the Gospel of John just before Christmas, and today we're going to finish that study. We've called it, Who is Jesus? As we just walk through the pages of this great Gospel and just seeing Christ afresh and anew. And today we complete that journey in chapter 21. So Jesus here is talking to Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We saw last week that the risen Christ had made breakfast for Peter and some of the other disciples. He was waiting for them as they came up from a night of fishing and Jesus provided an abundant catch for them. And so now Jesus and Peter have this very personal, very intimate discussion that they need to have. And really the theme for all of us is, you follow me. You follow me. John 21, and let's begin reading with verse 15. Follow along. The Bible says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take your word today and help us to understand it. Give us the grace to apply it 
And Lord, help us to understand it not just on an intellectual level, but Lord, on a heart level. May we take in Your Word right now. And so Lord, we we know that whenever we open up our Bibles to study them, we know that these are crucial, vital moments. And Lord, we desire to encounter You today just as You encountered Peter and these other disciples on the shore that morning, we we know you desire to encounter us right now and to speak to us right now. And we pray that you would do that by your grace and for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, a young man ran for the legislature in a large state and was badly defeated. He entered business after that failed, and for 17 years uh, tried to pay off the debts of a worthless partner. He fell in love with a beautiful young woman. They were engaged to be married. She died suddenly and tragically. He tried his hand at politics once again, this time running for Congress, and again defeated badly. He then tried to secure an appointment to the U.S. land office unsuccessfully. Entering politics once again, he was a candidate for the U.S. Senate, again defeated badly. It was one failure and one setback after another, but eventually he would become President of the United States, one of our greatest. His name was Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln's story is so inspiring because we can relate to failure. <laughs> we can relate to setbacks, to, to tragedies. Uh, life for all of us is filled with its fair share of, of all of those things. And I think that's one of the reasons why we relate to Peter's story as well. The failure. The repeated failure. In fact, Peter not only experienced repeated failure, but the most notorious repeated failure in the history of the world. As the night before Jesus went to the cross, Peter denied three times that he even knew Christ. As we saw a few weeks ago, that happened at the house of Caiaphas in the courtyard at night as they were gathered around a fire, a charcoal fire. And now, Peter is on the beach with the risen Christ. And Jesus, uh, that night, has prepared breakfast. He's got fish laid out for his disciples. And he's, he's used a charcoal fire to do that. And what we're going to see today is that as Jesus has this encounter, the risen Christ has this encounter with Peter, what we're going to see is that because of the work of Jesus, no matter what the sins and the failures and the setbacks in our lives are, because of the work of Jesus, we can be forgiven. And because of the work of Jesus, old wounds and hurts can be healed. And because of the work of Jesus, we can be given a new, fresh assignment and purpose in life. Let's look at that, talk about that today. First of all, we see something here about Peter's future. And in verse 15, the Bible says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me 
more than these, speaking of the other disciples. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Instead of bringing up this subject of what happened the night before he went to the cross by just saying, Hey, Peter, let's, let's talk about what happened that night. Jesus opens this up by asking Peter a question. And when you read the four Gospels, you see Jesus doing this time and time again. He draws people out. He draws their hearts out by asking questions to them. And that's what he does here. And in this case, the question is, Peter, do you love me more than these? Speaking of the other disciples who were present. Because that had been Peter's boast, remember? Peter had said, even if all these others deny you, I will never deny you. He said his love was greater, and then he went out and denied Christ three times. This time, Peter doesn't respond by comparing his love to the love of the other men. He just says humbly, Lord, you know that I love you. You see, Jesus, in just a brilliant, loving way, not only draws out Peter's heart with this question, but he gives Peter an opportunity to express his love for Christ, which Peter desperately needs to do. Peter needs to hear himself confess his love for Christ. These other men need to hear Peter confess his love for Christ. In just a wonderful way, Jesus is giving him that opportunity to, to publicly, verbally, audibly confess something that, that he needs to confess. You know, there's something powerful about public testimony. Whenever we go public with our love for Christ and speak of our love for Him, there's just something powerfully confirming about that. One of the greatest days of my Christian life happened right here. I was a senior in high school, and it was on Graduate Sunday at our church. And just a few weeks before that, God had done a beautiful work in my life, had recommitted my life to to Christ, and I had been asked to give my testimony on Senior Day at, here at our church, and I was filled with trepidation, honestly, about doing that. Number one, speaking in front of hundreds of people, um, but also I felt unworthy, really, to, to do that. And I'll never forget, um, and this, is a, a, <laughs> this speaks to <laughs> the role that mothers can play on Mother's Day, but in this case, what really got me over the hump was the night before, that Saturday night, I was still back and forth and just in agony about whether or not I was going to do this, just on the verge of backing out. And I, I kind of shared my heart with my mother. And I'll never forget her just sitting across my bed and talking very tenderly with me. And she wasn't trying to push me to do it or anything like that. But she just said to me, she said, you know, you could really help a lot of people if you shared your story. That was a perfect thing to say because it got my mind off of me and got me on other people and the good that could be done to other people. And I did share my testimony that next day. And hopefully it was helpful to other people, but I know it was helpful to me. It was powerful for me just to go public with my love for Christ and to confess that openly. And, and Jesus knows that Peter needs to do that in this moment. And he does. And, and then after he does that, notice that Jesus gives him an assignment. 
He says to Peter, feed my lambs, which tells us about the importance of a couple of things. Number one, the Word of God. This is how we grow as believers, is through the nourishment that we get from the Word of God. And whether you've got a role of teaching or preaching, or whether uh, you're a parent in the home and, and, and teaching children, um, remember, we need the Word of God. Everybody needs the Word of God. And they are Christ's lambs that we are tasked with feeding. They belong to Him. What an awesome responsibility to, to, to know that, that He has given us the task of, of feeding His lambs. And it speaks to the need to serve, actively serve the Lord. Jesus knows that, that Peter needs something to do. He needs an assignment. And He's letting Peter know that, that um, He's restored uh, to service, that he needs to be, he needs to be engaged in, in building up and feeding the people of, of God. And then in verse 16, Jesus says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. So Jesus repeats the question and Peter repeats his answer, but this time, in speaking to Peter's assignment, Jesus sort of amplifies it even more. He says, tend my sheep. And he's letting Peter know that he is completely restored to the task of the, of the, the leadership and guidance of the flock of God. It's just beautiful restoration that is taking place here. In verse 17, he said to him at the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now Jesus here takes Peter to a painful place. And he takes him there not to hurt him, but to heal him. Just like a surgeon has to go to the, that place of pain in our body in order for us to be healed, Jesus has to go back to that night and He has to take Peter to that place of pain in order to, to heal Peter's heart. And so three times He asks Peter, do you love Me? Just as Peter had denied Him three times. And Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? Not to humiliate him, but to heal him. In other words, this is Jesus' way of saying, you know what, Peter, I know that you have been tormented by what you did that night, but I want you to understand that in, 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 in asking you this question three times, after you denied me three times, and I want, you to under, I want you to understand that this is done. <laughs> that my forgiveness is complete. There's a sense of, of completion. This is done. You're forgiven and free. It, it, it's done because of what I've done. You know, just as Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, paid in full. That's the message that he's seeking to communicate to Peter. It's finished. Your sin debt is paid. 
This, this is done, and it's done because of what I have done. Dr. N.T. Wright, in commenting on this passage, says this, The smell of the charcoal fire lingers. Peter's night of agony and Jesus' own night of agony returns. But because of the latter, the former can be dealt with. Jesus is the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Peter's sin included, your sin, my sin. You see, because of the work of Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection from the dead, there is nothing on the record against Peter. Despite his repeated failure and sin, there's nothing on the record against him. It's been wiped clean because Jesus has paid it in full. This is what Paul says to us in Colossians 2. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. That record of our sin... All the ugliness of our sin, that record of our sin debt that was crushing us, that we could never pay, Christ has paid. It was nailed to the cross. And His work on the cross was vindicated by His resurrection from the dead. It's done. Do you really understand this? I know maybe you believe, you believe it with your head and you understand it theologically, but do you really, really understand within your heart of hearts just how forgiven and free you are in Christ? Some of you understand it in your head, but you're still carrying around so many of the wounds from the past. And the enemy tries to parade your past sins and, and mistakes in front of you, and, and, and uh, you, there's a sense of self-condemnation because of stuff in your past. And I want you to be free. Jesus wants you to be free. He wants you to understand it's done. It's done because of what I've done for you. Those sins are paid for. I'm risen from the dead. My forgiveness and your new life and my acceptance of you is complete. Now rejoice in my love. Rejoice in my acceptance. That's the gospel. You know, sometimes computers can get a virus that just keeps them from operating at peak efficiency. And so they're slow and you're trying to do your functions on them and there's just something that's wrong inside. It's a virus. And, and there are some, sometimes God's people, even if they, they understand in their heads what Jesus has done for them and, and, and who they are in Christ and they believe all of that, but they still, it's, there's something inside that just is holding you back like a virus holding a computer back from operating at peak efficiency. And Jesus doesn't want anything like that in your heart, in your spirit. He wants you to understand, not just in your head, but down deep in your heart, who you are in Christ. 
and just what Jesus has done for you. That you are his beloved child and your sins have been taken care of. In verses 18 and 19, Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now, by the time that the Gospel of John is written, Peter is dead. He has been martyred. And according to church tradition, he was not only crucified, but at his request was crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to die in the same manner that his Lord had died. And these people knew that Peter had been martyred. And John wants them to understand a couple of things about that. First of all, it did not catch Jesus by surprise. And second, it glorified Jesus. Peter glorified Jesus by the way that he lived and by the way that he died. What was it that transformed him? How did Peter go from a guy who cowardly denied three times that he even knew Christ to a young servant girl standing by the fire at the house of Caiaphas? How did he go from that guy to the guy who spent his life going around and boldly preaching the gospel and being persecuted for it and eventually being crucified for it? What transformed him? It was the resurrection. The resurrection, it was, it was the fact that he had seen and talked with the risen Christ and he would never deny it and he would give his life for it. It was the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that the risen Christ poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost so that he was empowered to live for Christ and be persecuted for Christ and to die for Christ. And listen, that same risen Christ pours out and gives His Holy Spirit to every Christ follower, to you and to me. And He'll give us everything that we need to live for Him and to die for Him. None of us knows what our future holds. But we know who holds our future. And we know who empowers us to live for Him or to die for Him, should He tarry. Second, we see something here about John's future. Verses 20 through 22. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you, you Follow me. So Jesus has just told Peter what the future holds for him. And Peter sees John and he says to Jesus, what about him? And it's only natural that Peter would ask that question. Because when you read the Gospels, you see that these guys were close. They were very different. 
in lots of ways, different personalities, different ages. John's very young, maybe still in his, uh, maybe just like 19 or so at this point. Peter is a seasoned adult by this point, and Peter probably thought of him as sort of a younger brother and that type of thing. They were very close. It was natural that Peter would ask Jesus, what about John? But Jesus, lovingly but firmly, essentially says to Peter, that's none of your business. What's going to happen to John? You have something else that you need to be focusing on. You follow me. You follow me. I'll take care of John, his future. Let me worry about John. You worry about Peter. And here's your task. You follow me. Just focus on that. You know, we can so easily slip into the sin, and it is a sin, of comparing ourselves to other people. And you, you know, you look at the lives of other people and, you know, and uh, maybe you look on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Not against those things, okay? I'm, I, I, I do Twitter, okay? But, but it's so easy, even if you don't do those things, it, to look at the lives of other people and say, oh, look at them. Look at their life. You know, look at their family. Um, look at their job. Look at all, look at, look at all, look at what the great things are happening with them. And, and you know, and, and here I, and here I am. Uh, and, and to sort of feel uh, a sense of uh, discouragement or even letting envy creep in. Or the opposite, we can look at somebody else and think, oh, I'm doing much better than them. And then pride creeps in. All of those things are bad. Okay, which is why comparison is bad. We should never, ever compare ourselves to other people. Tony Morita teaches preaching at Southeastern Seminary. Tony says this, comparison robs one of joy in Christ and only leads to envy, despair, discontentment, or pride. Fix your eyes on Jesus instead. You know, 2 Corinthians 10-12, Paul says, But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. We should never get into comparing ourselves, our, our, our lives, anything about us with other people. That's not the focus. What should be the focus? Fix your eyes on Jesus and follow Jesus and understand that Jesus knows what He's doing in your life. And the role that He has assigned to you at this moment is the one that you need to focus on. Not what anybody else is doing. You know, we've all seen movies where we can't imagine anybody else playing a certain role. I mean, when we think of that, that movie, you can't imagine anybody else, you know, but Al Pacino playing uh, Tony in The Godfather, you know, or Marlon Brando playing uh, Vito in The Godfather. I mean, you know, you just think of that movie and you just automatically think of that, Okay. If Bill Murray had been cast as Vito Corleone, probably not work out too much. Okay, if Jim Carrey had been cast as Tony, probably not what you want. Comedians, not in that role. Okay, but listen, we have a director who never makes a mistake in casting. Do you understand that? He makes no mistakes in casting. The role that he has you playing in life 
is the one that he has assigned, and that's the one that you're to focus on. Not what anybody else is doing. And just understand that it comes from him, and our assignment is simply to follow Christ. Over the years, I've had the privilege of pastoring so many military families, and one of the many things that I respect about our military families is the way that they get orders from Uncle Sam. And they just understand, you know what, we're under authority. (laughs) And we're going to go where we're assigned and, and do what we're assigned to do. And just watching those families and the way that they... They, they do that. It just, I, I just think they're heroic on so many levels. But listen, the Bible tells us that in a way, all of us as Christians are in that same position as someone serving in the military. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.4, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Doesn't that simplify life? All we have to do is just focus on pleasing our commanding officer. That's it. Just focus on him. Focus on pleasing him. That just simplifies a myriad of things in our lives. If we just fix our eyes on Jesus and seek to follow Christ. That's what he says. You follow me. Those three words. You follow me. It simplifies life. You know, we don't have to worry about what anybody else is doing. Um, we shouldn't even be worried about what we're going to be doing in 10 years or in 10 days. Jesus says, don't even worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow worry about itself. <laughs> what should you do the Christian life? Follow Jesus each day, day by day, moment by moment. Just follow Christ. You follow me. Day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. That's our assignment. Third, we see something here about our future. Verses 24 and 25, John says, This is disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I love books. I love libraries. Our family was in New York a couple of years ago, and I I made a special trip just to go into the New York Public Library and look around and, and take pictures. This is one of the most impressive libraries in the world. This is at Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland. Beautiful. It's a lot of books there, right? But John says, all the books in the world cannot contain what Jesus has done. You say, but he only lived about 33 years, and his active earthly ministry was only about three years. Surely, if we knew everything that Jesus did, that we would be able to fit everything within a certain number of volumes. No. Because, first of all, he's eternal. (laughs) What do we see in the very first verse of this book? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus didn't have a beginning because he was there in the beginning. He's eternal. And 
He's risen. He's risen. His work is not done. His work is ongoing. And here's the most mind-blowingly exciting part of that. He calls you and I to be a part of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your work on our behalf and for the fact that you are still at work and that we get to be a part of what you are doing. Father, I pray for anyone here today uncertain about a relationship with you. Father, I pray that today you would give them the grace to see Jesus and his great love for them. And that, Father, they'll take the take their hands off of the controls of their own lives and yield the controls to you. Turn from trying to do life their own way apart from you and turn to you and say, Lord, I trust you and I follow you. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. You're in charge. As we continue to pray, is that the prayer of your heart today? Turn to Jesus. Trust Him. Follow Him. Jesus tells us when we do that, we're to con- confess Him openly. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. If you're following Christ, you say, I've decided to follow Jesus today. We want to invite you to slip out and to come. I'll be right here at the front. You just share with me what God has done in your life. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I want to be a part of this church family and what God is doing here as we follow the Lord together. You come. There's a need in your life and you want someone to pray with you you come. So Father, we pray now that you would work during this time of invitation and decision, that you would be honored as this is a definitive turning point in many lives, all possible because of Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as His beloved child, His very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are His child. You say, I love Him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with Him. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. 
I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together. Thank you.